Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Samwise Yuboinsky Story Pod. Hi, Chris. Hi, Nate. Hello. Because I said so. On a cold winter's morning, Abe looked outside, his eyes open wide at the sight of fresh fallen snow. He exclaimed to his dad, let's take the sleds for a ride. But his dad just shook his head no. Dad, but why, Abe quickly replied. The backyard is covered with snow. His dad then stepped him aside, his eyes now open wide, and said, Abraham, because I said so. Abe did not like this answer, not at all, not one bit. Abe thought he should cry, throw a toy, throw a fit, but decided to find something else he could do until his dad came around, that old cranker Magoo. Now bored in his room, Abe looked around until he surprisingly found the new blocks he just bought from the store. He exclaimed to his dad, let's build the hamsters a town. His dad said, no, not now, just as before. Dad, but why? Abe quickly replied. They'd love it. Just go ask Whiskers and throw. His dad then sighed and said, please stop asking me why, Abraham, because I said so. Abe did not like this answer. Not at all, not one bit. He now wanted to cry, join a circus and split. But after much thought, he decided to stay. He doubted the circus would offer much pay. His dad said no to sledding, blocks, video games, and chalk, dressing up like Captain Kirk and his loyal friend Spock, pretending the dog was a lion who wanted them for lunch, being sneaky detectives who found clues and had a hunch. And every time his dad said no, Abe would ask why, and here, because I said so, and here his dad heavily sighed. But you know what? Abe had enough of this fluff. Abe caused quite a scene yelling, Dad, you're so mean, then ran away and collapsed on his bed. His dad then entered his room, sat down, apologized. And this is what he said. Abraham, I'm sorry I've been a cranker, Magoo. I'd love to put aside my work and imagine with you. Sometimes it's difficult for me to explain why, because I don't have a good answer or reason, and I don't want to lie. Abe, I was wrong. Now put on your boots. Let's go outside and play. Dress up warm because we'll be out there all day. Oh, I love that story. (laughs) Yeah. So this is (laughs) coming from uh, an actual experience of um, when I was in seminary and autumn was about four and I was so focused on getting, you know, this assignment that I don't remember what the assignment was, of course, right? But it was so important that I just kept on being, no, 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 no. And she would always ask why. And I simply said, because I said so. And it's a phrase I never wanted to say as a parent, but I found myself saying it to this cute little four-year-old who just wanted to play in snow, you know? And, uh, and of course, my heart soon melted and I realized that I was not being fair as a parent and that I had time to just set it aside. And after that, uh, I decided to kind of write something that uh, kind of reflected that feeling and that experience I had with my own daughter. So, yeah, I I really resonate with this one too, Um, both as a cranky dad. Especially now, especially now, like we're all just so tired and we're just so worn thin. Um, I remember this colleague of mine, very sweet, very wise guy. 
and he was a minister back in the day when gender roles were, were very different. And, you know, so he was expected to be like working all the time and his wife was with the kids all the time. But he said to me, he's like, after a very successful, wonderful, thriving ministry, he's like, I don't look back and regret ever going to one more meeting. I don't look back and regret ever not doing more work. He said, but I always regret that I didn't get to spend more time with my, I didn't choose to spend more time with my children. Um, which, which I, I think about all the time um, because, you know, we have this weird confluence of this time of life, you know, for me personally, where, you know, I'm in the middle of this really exciting ministry of all this great work and, you know, my kids want and need me more than they ever will, you know, cause as they slowly become older and become more independent you know, become more reliant on friends and wanting to be with other people. <laughs> you know, it's like, and then slowly, like, I'll have more time and then be like, hey, I think of my mom reaching out to me all the time. She's like, ready to go, you know. <laughs> yeah. But there's this mismatch. So I, uh, yeah, I really resonate with it. And, and being able to apologize, um, being able to go back to them and, you know, be able to, cultivate that I, I don't recall a whole lot of apologies coming from my own father you know mm. um he was a good guy but uh wasn't the most emotionally aware um so yeah yeah it's a great it's a great story mm. thanks i also I super duper appreciate the little details and i i think that's always one of my favorite things of stories like the what is it the cat's name thoreau oh, yeah. it's just like these <laughs> yeah, yeah, i yeah, love yeah, that yeah. <laughs> just these little <laughs> moments that throw the cat that it's really just makes it so much more fun and as we do we also have questions from you all so you can uh anytime email me a question a minister at uubelmont.org and we have this question from the houseman family and they asked about the origins of wreaths and christmas trees which i thought was pretty fascinating and Doing a tiny little bit of digging, um, I saw that the wreaths and the bringing in of evergreens is tied across many, 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 many cultures. And it makes sense on some level, tied into agricultural sort of moments where where we have this wintertime and just turning, just, just starting to think about the green coming back and imagining when that was really tied to your sustenance too, and you couldn't go down to the supermarket and get any kinds of produce. And you really were relying on this sort of shifting tides of nature. And so uh, across the world, really, even in Egypt, all sorts of places, they brought in evergreens to mark and, and remind them that, that they that this moment that around this time of year that the greenery was coming. And so then Christmas trees as part of that, as an evolution of that, um, some people tie it to Martin Luther and a moment that he had in the woods, seeing the firmament, seeing stars twinkling behind a tree, and then wanting to replicate that inside the house. So bringing the tree in. Um, but we also here in the United States also have some ties into that um, into that observance. So Nate, why don't you? Yeah. So when I was serving in Framingham um, as the director of exploration and uh, religious education, um, I found something. I found something out that was super interesting, which is that 
um, the congregation as well as um, other Unitarians in the area actually started using the Christmas uh, tree as the symbol of joy during um, the celebration of Christmas because um, other, uh, you could say, denominations kind of really focused on the birth of Jesus as being uh, central to their celebration. So you would see Christmas trees, but it wasn't used as this uh, as this like beacon of joy and light, like as we see all around now. And so in Framingham and other uh, and other congregations, Unitarian churches at that time started using Christmas trees outside and indoors as kind of showing a way to uh, try to be more festive and focus on the joy uh, of uh, the holiday season. Uh, and uh, celebrates uh, the birth of Jesus in um, more of a festive way, and then I thought that was so interesting that uh, that uh, that it came out of just somewhere so close. And uh, Unitarians are really um, kind of responsible for bringing um, this cultural Christmas into America. Um, this this idea of bringing families in and celebrating with food and all of that stuff. And uh, uh, yeah, it was something that really surprised me. That's cool. I didn't know that. And those origins of, you know, those Puritans, you think of the religious experience, granted this is a while ago, but you think of the religious experience as being one of, you know, intensity and focus and devotion and all sorts of, it's supposed to be hard and difficult and, and, and now it's sort of assumed in a lot of our experiences, one of joy and connection and love. And, and that's a historical, you know, departure. Um, and especially our, and has it our roots, like you're saying in these early Unitarians and the universalists who were also saying that, you know, that God was loving, you know, that God's nature was love. And, and that was a huge departure, which now is just so much a big part of who we are. Um, so yeah, well, keep the questions coming. It's super fun. Uh, and thank you all so much for listening.